0: Welcome to the Gate World Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 133 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm David. I'm Diana. And we are finally back after a little bit of a hiatus. We've been away for a little while working on a lot of stuff. Uh, I've been working on a personal project. Diana, you've been working on Epilogue, which we'll be discussing here momentarily. And grading papers. (laughs) And grading papers. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) This uh, episode is celebrating Joel Goldsmith. Um, The composer for all of uh, Stargate, SG-1, Atlantis, and Universe, uh, or I should say the the chief composer. He did have some assistance a little bit along the way, but he was, by and large, the main guy who was responsible for 350 hours of of Stargate programming, and um, we lost him last month. And uh, this was Diana's idea to discuss, uh, to spend an episode discussing his legacy and you know what he meant to us, and so we're going to be getting to that momentarily. Uh, but first of all, let's let's catch up for a minute, Diana. So you've been grading papers.
2: Yes, and being entertained by misspelled words—that's like the my theme for the week. Like politely, P-O-L-I-G-H-T-L-Y.
1: That's a good one. Oh my gosh! in the papers.
2: Well, these are scripts, these are scripts, and yeah, sometimes... What are they uh... using,
1: typewriters?
2: (laughs) But, uh, hey, it keeps it interesting, it keeps me on my toes, and, uh, you know, it's going through 60 or 70 scripts, basically, and... Just trying to figure out ways to help the students make them better. What have you been up to, David?
1: Aside from working at eBay and just enjoying myself and you know, trying to stay out of the 110 degree heat, my motorcycle recently broke, so I'm repairing the clutch cable today and hopefully going to get back on it. Um, I have been spending my time working on a um, uh, personal audio project that uh, I, uh, I abandoned about 10 years ago. Uh, with all of the uh, voice acting completed. There were like 30 cast members involved in this thing. And I basically put it on the shelf and started working for GateWorld. And now recently I'm just getting back to it. I'm debating whether or not to, to uh, release the link on the podcasts.
2: Well, I mean, I've, I've listened to the first chapter while driving down to uh, Tennessee a couple of weeks ago, and I was very upset when it was over. So, I mean, I had so much fun listening to it. It's, uh, it's so richly layered as far as the story and your actors. I think do a great job. Plus, you use just enough sound effects to really pull me into the world, but not too many that I'm lo- that I'm like, okay, all right, get out of the way. Let me hear the story. So. Um, it's really a treat, and I really hope that uh, the podcast listeners here get to. I get. I hope you get to share
1: it with them. Well, I guess now that I've kind of mentioned it, I'll, 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 maybe I'll save it for the next. I'll save it for the next show. But yeah, it's a it's a sci-fi crossover to end all crossovers story. So it's kind of all over the place, but I've, I've, I. I I tightened it into this little, you know, consistent mostly story. So um, if, if there's some interest, then I'll consider releasing the link. But right now, it's just something that I personally wanted to complete. And yeah, I'm working on chapters two and three, recording that this weekend to hopefully release in a week or two. So we'll see what happens. But with you... Mm. Epilogue. Mm. Um, I did we discuss it at all in the previous show? I don't think we even brought it up. Did yes, we? we did.
2: We did. We, we did. We did. We did a little bit. Yes, okay. absolutely. And May twenty fifth, the premiere of the trailer and the website will be brought up. Everybody can take a look at it. It's at epiloguetheseries dot com. Um, the trailer. We're hoping people are as thrilled by it and as disturbed by it. As we are, you know, you get so close to a project that, after a while, it's like you're filling in the blanks in your head, and you really want to get some fresh mm-hmm. perspective. So we are excited to hear what people have to say about it. Um, it's uh, we're, we're working. The directors are right now doing their cuts on the different episodes, and. You know, we saw the first cut of the pilot yesterday, and it's really good. And we encourage the direct- we are encouraging the directors to go even further out on a limb before we get to it. The crazier, the better. So uh, they kind of liked that request.
1: <laughs> oh, I bet. Yes. You're free in their hands.
2: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's better to be out on a limb and be pulled back in than to not be out at all. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to hear what people have to say about it. It's like a minute and a half, two-minute trailer. And speaking of music, the composer is out of this world. It's a young man, uh, Tyler Durham. He's a freshman in college. And he's already won a bunch of national composition competitions. Oh, so he's he's
1: talented. Yes,
2: and he was very inspired by Joel. I turned him on to all of Joel's music, and he just... He couldn't. He can't stop listening to it, and he too was quite saddened when Joel passed. Hmm. So Joel has definitely left his legacy, and I think you might see little hints of it in the spirit of the music for Epilogue.
1: Mm-hmm. So well, I mean, I've I I know basically the outline for the for all the different parts, and it feels very much, very much like uh, a Stargate kind of story. Um, it, it feels like it could be almost set in that universe. And, um, it's, that's one of the reasons that I'm looking forward to it because it's very much an adventure concept. And, you know, the other, the other thing is, is because I've seen the caliber of work that, um that this university puts out in its in its film department. I mean, one of the things that uh, you're going to find in the links section on this um this podcast is a trailer to uh, a film called Apollo. And this film I saw a couple of years ago the first time I met Diana and it blew me away. It, it blew me away. Yeah, in actually terms of how good it was.
2: Actually, we're going to give you the link to the entire movie, which Oh, really? Was, okay. Yes, See the entire movie, it's now online on Vimeo. Uh, and we'll link you to the, the writer-director's site, Brian Manning. And uh, this movie was a finalist and a selectee of the uh, Athens International Science Fiction Film Festival. So, uh, and it's been shown at several uh, science fiction conventions and festivals around the world. So I think everybody will get a kick out of that. So, yeah. and yes, there's definitely Stargate. You can. it definitely could be in the Stargate universe. For one thing, Brad Wright was the master, as far as I'm concerned, in regards to time travel stories mm-hmm. and alternate timelines. So there's definitely a little bit of an influence there. But I would say even more so, um, the thing that I keep harping on about Stargate that has always meant so much to me and why I love Star Trek also was that whole esprit de corps, that whole... Uh, no matter our differences, we'll come together for the higher cause. Mm-hmm. And that's very evident in these characters. It is, even though it's science fiction, it is very character-driven science mm-hmm. fiction. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that uh, they, that the viewers will see that in there. And then other than that, I'm just doing edits for The Drift, which will be coming out in September.
1: Wow, so there is a release date now. There
2: is a release date, September. Yes, Fantastic. perfect time to get everybody in the mood for snow and ice. Because <laughs> <laughs> the book takes place down in Antarctica predominantly. So, mm. um, yes, it'll kind of get everybody inspired to get cold and put their winter parkas on again.
1: What do you want to share with people in terms of like getting their taste buds wet to go out and, and pick it up? this this fall you know know,
2: i would say that you know this is a prequel and a sequel all wrapped up into one uh this is very much a case if you read four dragons uh one of the dangling intentionally dangling questions is how the heck did uh huang get to uh earth and how did he get himself so high up the ranks in uh the chinese government that he could have been such an influence on uh, stargate command and uh, so you get to see a prequel. It kind of goes through what he went through and all of the stages. And it, I've tied it into a lot of historical events that happened in China. And then it's, of course, a sequel because uh, we find our team. Uh, this is right after the Atlantis expedition has left. And General Jack O'Neill and uh, SG-1 are down in Antarctica dealing with training a new group of ata trainees because most of those that had the genetic left with the atlantis expedition so they need a whole new group to man the chair so it's basically both those stories coming together at one it's definitely got an alternative uh structure to it and it's i'm hoping people really enjoy it it's a little darker than four dragons uh, it's definitely a different tone and different mood. Most importantly, I'm really hoping the reader gets a feel for what Ed Antarctica looks like, smells like, feels like. I really tried to get that across based off my experiences being down there a couple of years ago.
1: Mm, all right. The programming schedule for a lot of the networks have recently been yes. announced. I, uh, You sent me a link to a, uh, a, a few. I got to tell you. Uh there's nothing in there that I absolutely must have to wa- uh, must watch.
2: Okay, well, I think we differ a little bit. Not cool. in part because I'm a total comic book geek. I am I your see. classic red-headed girl geek and Arrow just looks awesome to me. Um it looks absolutely awesome. Um so I'm excited for that. I'm not a CW fan, unfortunately, or fortunately. I'm not sure which. <laughs> but, you know, it's a little too young for my taste. But this does look a little older and a little more mature mm-hmm. and a little grittier. So I am excited for the Arrow. And that trailer really looks pretty darn good. The one that I am honestly fascinated by is Defiance, which is yes. the sci-fi channel uh, thing. Because it's going to be both a show and it's going to be a uh, an MMO, um, and it's about uh, a group of aliens who crash land on our planet 35 years from now, and as their ship breaks apart, some of their animals and plants get loose, and they affect our planet and re-terraform it. Yeah. And it deals with the aliens and us learning to get along. Yeah. And the MMO, there are elements of the story that'll be in the MMO that you can play online, but they'll also be Apparently, elements that the participants in the MMO can affect somehow of the series, and I'm not Mm -hmm. quite sure how that's going to work because any science fiction series worth its salt, the episodes have to be shot several months out in order to get the effects done.
1: Yeah, it would require a lot of coordination, but I tell you, I think it can be done. Um, they just, it just has, it's just a lot of foresight and planning and planning. There's, there wouldn't be a lot of opportunity to make last minute course corrections, you know, based exactly. on, you know, the, the audience needs and things like that. Cause of the cost. Of, I mean, the visual effects, they take so long to produce. They really do. In some cases do. like six months. So, um,
2: but there's a couple of people that are involved with the project that, um, make me want to at least turn in for a few episodes one of those is the co-creator rock new bannon
1: yeah i've been i've been watching his stuff since sequest i mean alienation forever yeah
2: and this is really to me this sounds like a reboot of alienation and that's fine with me to be perfectly (laughs) frank because alienation was fantastic and got into some terrific character-driven science fiction And then Jamie Murray is going to be one of the cast, which I'm a little surprised about. She's best known, for those of you who have been still watching the Sci-Fi Channel, she's best known as the female H.G. Wells on Warehouse 13. Uh, She was in the second season of Dexter.
1: She Mm. was Lila. That's right, she was Lila.
2: Yes, she's a good actress. She's definitely a good actress. Creepy. she can be creepy. She can be uh, – I loved H- her H.G. Wells. I found it ap- her absolutely fascinating. Hmm. So uh, we'll see where it goes. I mean it's definitely – I think that that one's at least the pilot is a must-see. The,
1: the pilot that's a must-see for me is Revolution. And like you kind of mentioned to me before the show, um, I, I have questions as to how m- – much this thing has whether or not this thing has legs but um, I still I I still want to see that because I like Tim Guinea and um, you know I've always been fascinated by EMP I think it's a great threat and uh this this feels like that i don't think that that's what it is but the after effects of it you know one of, i mean one of my favorite books is one second after and this feels like one second after so the, one second after coupled with the book of eli you know that mm. there's a, there's a kind of a there's a real sci-fi twist to it so i'm i'm looking forward to seeing it based on what it is and the things that i'm attracted to as a reader
2: yeah. so
1: coming to life the last one that i do want to mention uh, is Last Resort. Mm. Uh, it's a submarine-based kind of series, slash island-based, uh, these, uh, these these group of naval officers. The government attempts to take them out because they refuse to, I think, destroy Pakistan. Yeah. And it's just, um, that it looks like an interesting concept, and it's definitely a pilot that I'm going to watch.
2: And well-casted. I mean, I love uh, Andre Brauger. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. I loved him in Men of a Certain Age, mm. uh, and he got an Emmy nomination for that. Um, it's definitely got a bit of a conspiracy twist to it. It's got, uh, you know, the, the naval uh, folks with a submarine. So we'll see what happens with it. The trailer is excellent. You also, uh, 666 Park Avenue if, Yes. for those of us who are... Terry there,
1: O'Quinn. Yeah,
2: Terry O'Quinn from Lost.
1: I love him. Yes. <laughs> I love that man. Yes. <laughs> that bold head.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, it kind of looks like a combination of American Horror Story with a little bit of Rosemary's Baby.
1: Yes, I thought of that, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, so I'm game, I'm very game. I think it's fascinating how horror is making such a big comeback on television. I think it's absolutely fascinating, so I am fine with it. It's part, listen, you know, speculative fiction, it's science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Yeah. So, uh, and on that note... We can't end any conversation without talking about the Avengers.
1: The Avengers was good. I really enjoyed myself with that with that film, you know. But that's, I mean, I I knew going in that Joss Whedon was gonna kick ass with it, you know. I mean, there, there he was the reason that I was watching. Mm-hmm. Not specifically any of the well Robert Downey Jr. I'll I'll pretty much watch anything that he does at this point because he's so darn talented and, and wealthy flex, and flexible <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah I mean it was just it was he took what was an immensely immensely complicated concept with a bunch of big actors and some up and comers. Uh, and makes a piece that works. And it makes me want to see a a, a prequel movie now with Hawkeye and, and uh, Black Widow. Yes, they were you know? great. They were just so good. So it's like, why didn't they have movies? What's wrong with that? They
2: were really, really you great. Know, these these and, people are yeah. big people. <laughs> yeah, they were really great. I'd like to see another Hulk movie with this actor. I just thought he was phenomenal.
1: That's the only one that I didn't see. That's the only film that I didn't watch. So I think I'm going to go back and see it. Now. I started it and I, I I didn't I didn't finish it. So, well,
2: he's uh, not in the other versions of the Hulk. This is this actor's first time playing it, and quite frankly, as much as I love Ed Norton, Mark Ruffalo is infinitely better, infinitely better. So they
1: changed him. the actor for this movie.
2: Yeah, and it was a very good call. And in fact, a lot of critics have been raving. Wow, About I did not boyfriend. know
1: that. Yeah. I thought that they brought him over from the previous movie that they nope. just did. No, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, nope. Wow, nope, nope. I wonder different. what happened. Yeah. Okay. But I
2: mean, you know, what I mean, Whedon is probably one of the best, if not the best, at doing ensemble stories. Yeah, uh, and making sure everybody has a story. And, boy, everybody has a story. And, I mean, quite frankly, Iron Man's arc in The Avengers is 10 million times better than it is in his first two movies by himself. Yeah. You know, it's almost like Whedon went and watched all of the other movies and went like, all right, we'll fix that arc, we'll fix that arc, we'll fix that arc. And he <laughs> said, you know, he went through it, figured out what he was going to do. Uh, <laughs> Thor was better. Yes. You know? Um, I mean, really, they, they, they were all just it was a joy i saw it twice now you would not see it in 3d
1: no i saw I'm it in dude.
2: 3d the first time and it was great and then i went and saw it in 3d imax and that was just outstanding cool and yeah i can't wait to see prometheus in 3d imax
1: i can't wait for prometheus to come out i mean the trailer gives everything away and if you know anything about alien then you know the outcome of it, but I don't care. I still want to see. I mean, Titanic is still the second highest grossing film of all time now, and everyone knew what happened to that. So I think it's. I think it's going to be a great, a great film.
2: I think you're in so. for a surprise, though, because from all the interviews that are being done with the filmmakers, the. It being a, it's it's not really your standard prequel to Alien. Well, it's not really the ship
1: doesn't reach Earth. We know that, no. so yeah. we see it crashing on screen for crying out loud. So, right. but I mean, I'm not expecting an Alien prequel. I don't, I don't even care if we don't. Well, I think we need to see eggs, but I, I don't even care if we don't see exomorphs. Yeah. So, um, or whatever they're called. But yeah, so that's uh, that's some of the up-and-coming stuff and some of the stuff that's out. So let's move into our main discussion. Okay.
3: The main discussion.
1: Our main discussion topic for episode 133 is celebrating Joel Goldsmith, who passed away on 29th of April this year. Uh, composer for StarGate SG One, StarGate Atlantis, and StarGate Universe, we have a very special guest. His uh, longtime collaborator Neil Acrey will be joining us in uh, in just a few minutes to discuss uh, Joel and his legacy. And and uh, but but Diana and I wanted to um, before Neil joins us, uh, take time out to you know discuss really what he meant to us and the impact that he had on our lives. So uh, Diana, why don't you start?
2: The best way for me to express how I feel about Joel's contribution to the franchise is that his music was a character in Mm -hmm. all of it. It was a character, so I feel as if we've lost one of the characters of the franchise, one of the much loved characters of the franchise. I mean, and for me, writing, I mean, for those of you who have read Four Dragons, you're familiar that in the acknowledgements, I acknowledge Joel. And mm-hmm. I uh, contacted him through a mutual friend, I, a friend of mine who was one of my composers when I was in the industry, was actually, was actually friends with Joel, and I got his info and sent him the book, and got the most lovely email back from him, just how honored he was to have his name in there. I'd be <laughs> dinner the whole bit, you know, next time I was in L.A., but uh, I mean, I, I'll be honest, when I heard that he passed away, I... Uh, pretty much always play joel's music every day and i couldn't play it for about a week afterwards i was really heartbroken
1: it was like don had died all over again Mm -hmm. um
2: like i said another character
1: yeah that's and that's what i thought of when you when you said that because i went i went to bed early that night and i rolled over at like three in the morning and i i left skype on my phone and darren darren had pinged this is not his fault but he had he had pinged me and I rolled over, and like most of us who sleep with our iPhones, I looked at it and, and read uh, that he had passed, and I couldn't get back to bed for hours. And I got up, and I I just kind of like skulked around, and um, yeah, yeah, it uh, it was hard because I had known this man, and I had interviewed him several times. I met him once uh, in um, in San Diego at the Stargate Continuum launch. And uh, I, I recognized him right away, and I th- I think I think he recognized me as well, because he came over to me. And he said, "David," and I said, uh, "Yes, Joel." He said, "Can I give you a hug?"
0: <laughs>
1: <And> I, <laughs> this <Yeah>. big guy. <laughs> I gave him a big hug. He was just terrific, and so friggin' humble, so willing to just stay in the background you know, and let his, let, let his, his music speak for itself. I still don't, I don't understand, I mean, I, I kind of understand, I guess, because people watch for different reasons, but I still don't understand anyone who can watch Stargate and say, no, I don't, I don't hear his music, I don't hear it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, not specifically him, but music in general. I don't get how you can watch 17 seasons, 17 seasons, and not be influenced by music and sound, I don't. I don't follow
2: it. Well, I mean, and I think it goes even beyond that. His, um, I re-listened to his music this week in preparation for this discussion, and there's an evolution that happened with him in his music. He got oh, yeah, more. Yeah. Um, I think he got braver. You know, and he was oh, yeah. able to get away from the soundtrack from the film as yeah. the seasons went on, and. Uh, by the time he got, in, but t- by the time the uh, season six turn- came around of Stargate SG One, well, season five really, Meridian, I think, was a big turning point for him musically, and uh, the Atlantis, that was another turning point for him, and then unfortunately, we didn't get enough of uh, the phenomenal no. turning point that happened with Stargate Universe, and Not I nearly wish enough. no, and I really wish they would release music from that. I don't know oh, what the estate's going to do. I don't know yeah. if something Neil might know something about.
1: that's one of the things that I want to ask him when when we get him on online because when I heard that he was brought back for Stargate Universe, I know that they wanted a completely different tone for the for the franchise, which was something mm-hmm. that I really as as I've you know as I've preached about in this in this show, I really wanted. And when I heard when I was at finished the finish the, um, the pilot, I was is that Joel? That couldn't have been Joel. That's not, it's, it sounds completely different. And I loved, loved the sound of it. I mean, the, the whole, the whole, my, my favorite, my favorite sequence is, is Scott finding the lime and that whole piece at the end there. And I was like, that is Joel, that's astounding. And I, w- I mean, I was blown away again and again and again by the, the, the caliber and quality and difference in the style. That was in Stargate Universe. I mean, mm-hmm. if, you don't like, if you don't like the show for anything else, there's got to be people out there who just liked it for the music because it was so good.
2: Well, the last thing he did, uh, the, the finale piece, when uh oh, had David gosh. Blue's character standing there alone, all the lights shut down, and he's there on the observation deck. What an amazing little piece of music. So, yeah, no, he, uh, I think we were all very fortunate to have him in our lives, and um, I really think he made a significant contribution to this franchise that we all love so very much.
0: Hi, Gate World. This is James from San Francisco. I'm just calling um, to offer my condolences to the Goldsmith family and the Stargate fans. The loss of Joel Goldsmith is a punch in the gut. This really... Hurts. This is someone that's been associated with Stargate, or at least the television branch of the franchise, from the very beginning to the very end. And his death, coming a, almost one year after the end of Stargate Universe, it just it, it's it hurts, and it just sucks because film music or music for film and television is something that's important to me. It's something I tend to focus on more than. A lot of people in the audience. Uh, I guess it's kind of a consequence of growing up with the Star Wars films with John Williams' distinct pioneering uses, usages of light motifs uh, and musical themes. Um, and Stargate is no different. I mean, J- David Arnold's original score is remains to this day, almost twenty years later, one of my favorite pieces of music, and one of my top ten favorite film scores of all time. And while I didn't actually begin watching Stargate until the mid two thousands, yeah, I can only imagine the challenge that Mr. Goldsmith faced in 1997 when SG-1 premiered on Showtime, and he had to continue, had to use those themes as his starting point to help transition the storyline of the film into a television format. And to his credit, he made it work. He used Arnold's distinct themes for the gate itself, for the Goa'uld, What I always thought was a nice touch using Ra's theme and expanding on that to, or at least part of that theme, to represent the Goa'uld as a whole. And then just starting from there, developing it musically, maintaining that consistency but adding his own distinct themes. Um, you know, the majesty uh, of the Asgard, the menace of the replicators, the Gothic fanaticism of the Ori, the awe and mystery of the lost city and the ancients. There's all these themes that span the combined 17 seasons of television and the two directed video films. I, it's an impressive work. Stargate, I just can't imagine any other composer fulfilling those roles, and it's just such a shame to lose Mr. Goldsmith. Um, it was a shame almost a decade ago to lose his father. Uh, these were both great musicians, and before just i I wish I can only hope that when Stargate returns, whoever takes over as composer uh, will. Obviously, they too will have a challenge to face. Stargates just won't be the same without them.
1: We now have on the line with us, Mr. Neil Acrey, longtime collaborator of uh, of Joel Goldsmith. Neil, it is a pleasure to uh, be hearing your voice again. Likewise, Diana and I have already been talking about um, about Joel for about ten minutes now. We wanted to kind of open with, you know our our favorite memories of him and you know the how his his music had in, has inspired us and and impacted our lives uh i can't i can't imagine what it must have been like for you to get the news
3: yeah um uh, it hit me really hard i had known he was sick for a few months uh but i didn't know how sick and okay. i i saw him the day before he passed and oh um, my to say goodbye i didn't realize when i was saying goodbye that he was going to be gone the next day and uh when i did get the call i was when i saw him to be honest i i knew he was in bad shape and i and i knew it was coming i just didn't expect to have for it to happen the next day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and when i did get the call it just it really it hit me pretty hard and i guess he, he was more than just a collaborator he was my mentor he was mm-hmm. A great friend, and, and at times, felt like a father to me. Mm-hmm. So it was like losing all of that all at once, and probably the closest person I've ever lost. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it was very hard news, and um, not really much you can you can do in a case like that, except for celebrate the person's memory. Put and, on his
1: music. Put on his music. <laughs>
3: exactly. I, which I I did that that the whole night I listened to. Strangely enough, stuff I'd never heard, and, and some of his original stuff, and, and his earlier oh. stuff.
1: It's interesting how how different people cope. Because Diana and I couldn't put on his music for a while. Yeah. You know, we just, I, I. Diana couldn't. Like, she. She was talking about it before you came in. You know, she. She couldn't put it on for like a week. I. I put it on a couple. Of, a couple of days later, but I couldn't that first day. Mm. The first day that I found out.
2: Well, for me, it's been a constant companion as I've been writing the Stargate novels, and then to find out the creator is gone, it just was. It's a little rough. <laughs> what yeah. was
1: it like producing Stargate with him? You didn't. You didn't, you weren't there from the beginning. Weren't, didn't you come in? No, with, I started.
3: I started as as his assistant uh, right before season three
1: started. That's right. I remember Ooh. season three, but I didn't okay. want to say that aloud. Okay.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, you know, did everything from get coffee to do, you know worked my way up to to helping you know with computers and samples and stuff and then eventually started writing and just he he taught me so much taught me the ins and outs of of running a studio and and a lot about composition and and producing orchestrating mixing pretty much everything i just, it was like it was like school for me mm-hmm. the several years that i that i worked with him at his studio and then eventually i Started working from my own studio, and, and we ended up collaborating. You know, the last last three seasons of SG One, I was uh, a co-writer, and then on on Atlantis, I, I helped out as well. And then universe, um, you know, he he really he wanted to make that, you know, all his own. He really I, I helped out on like three episodes. The rest of it, he was just he got really inspired and really came up with some really cool stuff. It's oh, such yes. a
1: different. Own. yeah i mean it's a complete departure just like like the, the darkness of the show was kind of like a complete departure from the other two yeah he took it in a completely different direction and to this day i don't know where he found that i don't know where that
3: came he had from. he had it in him the whole time you know if you actually listen to a score called laser blast he did it was his the first score he ever did or, or one of the first and he did it with a friend of his name richard band who had also worked on a couple uh of the early uh, SG1 episodes, I'm not saying it sounds exactly like it. In fact, it doesn't sound much like Universe at all. But but you could tell like
1: the is, the strands were the there. The
3: strands, the the working with synthesizers and that kind of early experimentation with sound. You know, you'll you can hear a little bit of that in there. Mm. You know,
2: Neil, it's interesting because I mean, there's really there's two different schools. When it comes to composing for science fiction television, there is the Star Trek method, which is like wallpaper music. Mm. And then there is the Stargate method, where it really tugs at your heart. It's a character in the room, in the scene, as much as any other actor, character is in the scene. And uh, I'm curious if Joel ever talked about those differences Mm. and uh, what his intent was with music and maybe how much has that affected you with your own work that you're now doing?
3: Well, yeah, he always said, you know, if, if there's, if there's no, uh, you're looking at a scene and someone says, you know, uh, let's put some music in there. The first question you have to ask yourself, okay, what is it going to say? Hmm. What's the music going to say? And if, if the answer is nothing, then well, why put music in there in the first place? Yep. Mm. That's, that's a, an important lesson I learned from him, is anytime time you, you put music in a scene that didn't have anything to say, you're going to end up with wallpaper. Yep. yep. So in the case of, of the Stargate series, so much of, of the stories were very, they went hand in hand with the music and there, there was always something to say. And they didn't waste any time with, you know, something was always going on. And that gave the music a chance to, to always say something. And if, and if there's, there's episodes where there's not a note of music and there's some where there's, you know, five minutes of music. And the reason is music didn't have to be there, didn't have anything to say. So we didn't put it in. And I think that's it, it, when the music does come in and the episodes that it is very heavy and, and plays a big part, it has a lot more of an impact.
2: Exactly. I think you just said it. It's, it's all about music that has some, that is something to say.
1: How do you think he's most dramatically impacted you as a composer? I think
3: uh, he always stressed the importance of melody. Well, he, his dad once said, and his dad, as, as everyone knows, was Jerry Goldsmith, who was a, a very influential composer. On uh, Most composers now would consider him to be one of their top influences, and Joel was no different. Joel consider Jerry to be a big influence as well and Jerry once said that there's no room for subtlety in film music mm. and is as, as much as I, I can sometimes disagree with that and, and feel there, there there are times where you know the subtle nuances uh, are, are important but he was referring to making bold statements you know if there was a, a, a bold big moment that you know, have a big melody and and, and have a, you know, big, strong uh, counter melody and the orchestration should be simple and to the point and to not get too caught up in, in the little details that are just going to end up distracting from the what the, the real heart of the score. It's a tricky thing because there are composers, I think of Alexander Desplat who did the last couple Harry Potter movies mm-hmm. who has a very, a very subtle style and I love it, It's 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 great, and then you know, on the other side of the spectrum, Jerry had these just really strong, bold, simple melodies. That as as gifted and as educated of a composer as he was, he would sometimes just just keep it so simple that it was just unmistakably him.
2: And also, go sometimes Joel went against expectations where you might think that it needs to be big and brash. And he would go with something subtle, which really helped to carry the the character's emotional through line. Oftentimes, which I just loved I loved when he did that.
3: Yeah, oftentimes yeah. just a, a solo piano or a solo woodwind, something really simple. And that's another thing I I, I learned from him. And when I, when I was talking about subtlety, the lack of subtlety, it's more more in the orchestration or, or the the moments when they are big. You know, it's important to keep keep the point very simple and to the point. But then the moments where you know you have like just a simple droning sound with a, a single piano note, it could be so effective he he taught me that too just there there's you playing against expectations like you said is is also a very effective tool yeah
2: I mean I think about uh, As- extension uh, which has a uh very famous piece of music to it that really kind of was the beginning of the, the types of music he would do for dealing with the ascended beings and all that yeah uh and it's almost childlike in nature and at first glance when you watch it you might think and listen to it you might think that it's he's tying into uh Orlin's point of view but really uh, the ascended beings being thousands and millions of years old. He's really tying into Sam's point of view. Sam's the child, yeah. and the music does such a great job of making you see that shift between the two characters and the two different points of view. And it's so simple. It's really a very simple piece.
1: Yeah, but it has a lot of resonance, though. I mean, oh, that
2: yeah.
1: specifically ascension that had a lot of influence on you know the the direction that uh, a lot of the a lot of those those arcs went through in in terms of in terms of music with those with those beings who were very significant to the show you know and it's it's funny he was he was able to you know do just little things that would have such a great impact later i remember talking with him about uh, Lost City uh-huh. and there was just a little melody in Lost City that became a huge influence on the on Atlantis and mm-hmm. the the music in Atlantis and i don't think it was specifically intentional that he do that but and I, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Neil, I think you may have actually made the the comment. Well, there's something there in Lost City that I think we can pull from, and you guys ran with that.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he had a, a knack for coming up with themes on a regular basis. Uh, you know, we tried to put uh, a new theme in every episode, or at least every episode that something was happening. If we could find a melody that would carry that show, we we you know we we would do it, and and Joel would write the theme and I would find ways to work it in here and there. And then, you know, as the show progressed and, and the characters went on to different, you know, mm-hmm. bigger things, those this themes followed them and, and kind of grew with them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What are some of your favorites, looking back, some of the ones that you did with Joel and some of the ones that he did that stand out to you?
3: My, my favorite thing I think I ever did with him was the uh, the healing, as it's called on the soundtrack, from uh, Ark of Truth. Right. of truth the the scene where where Teal has has fallen mm-hmm. and he's uh, he's resurrected or he's, he's healed and he gets up and he's kind of running along the sand and uh, this is kind of this 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 building uh, moment of, of him he, he rises you know he, he's resolved to, to go save the day that was a lot of fun I mean Joel kind of laid down some cords and then I, I took it and mm-hmm. I you know, added to it, and and you know, took it into the next scene, and then Joel th- put a melody on top of it. It was a great example of just we kind of throw stuff back and forth to each other, and and, and and that one, that one's always
1: been a favorite. I loved, I loved the replicators. Yes, I loved, I loved that theme, and the the funny thing was the uh, the the happiest part about uh, about the the arc of truth having the replicators in the arc of truth for me was to be able to get to the soundtrack and have that have that to listen to all the time yeah. I didn't really care that they were there but I loved that the theme was there uh-huh. so. yeah. <laughs> so.
2: out of curiosity what was do you know what Joel's favorite pieces were from uh, I mean we've talked about Stargate Universe but from maybe from SG-1 and, Atl- and Atlantis do you have any inklings as to what he particularly was proud of I know he felt he was really proud of uh,
3: Stargate Atlantis uh, Rising. The um, yeah. s- specifically, he, I know he, he he worked really hard in the theme and went through several variations, but the final version I know he was really happy with. And then the, the the cue called the Rising, where Atlantis rises for the first time, oh, yeah. uh, is and that's that's one of my favorites of his. Uh, just a spectacular piece. I, I I pulled it up on. Pretty often, actually, just just to listen to all the places it goes and, and all the, the details and the orchestration. It's a beautiful piece.
2: And it really helps with that sense of wonder, which is mm. what science fiction is at its best. I mean, that's what Joel was particularly great wonderment.
1: at. Wonderment. He loved yes. that yes. word. We, we yeah. always discussed the wonderment, yes. you know.
2: Yes, yes. He was wonderful at underlining that and lifting... The viewer, so that they really were participants in that sense of wonder. It was fabulous.
3: Uh, you know, the the thing he he really was proud of is those those subtle, simple piano moments we were talking about, where there where he could make something happen dramatically with very little musically.
1: Yeah, yeah. I you, there are a lot of those uh, throughout uh, throughout the series when he's when something significant. Um, would happen in terms of like characters like when, when Janet Frazier uh, appeared again he just he went straight to the 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 higher keys on the piano which I'm like oh Joel don't go there don't Definitely. go there oh man it's like oh this is hitting me so hard yeah. <laughs> and he knew how to do it
3: and he also uh, the other thing that comes to mind is their uh, uh, Beckett's funeral mm. the I know he, he was really proud of that one
2: that was a tearjerker.
3: Yeah, jerker. Yeah.
2: definitely. And it was simple too. It was mm-hmm. also very just clean and simple and allowed us to be pulled into
1: the scene. And the last scene of that episode too, mm-hmm. like Beckett disappears and we pull out on Rodney and Atlantis. I mean, okay. that's a great moment. You know, one of the things that I was so I was so impressed with what he did. and the the things that really stand out to me overall in terms of his music is the endings. I don't know what it was, but he knew that when that title card came on, executive producers, he went to town in mm-hmm. and the, and the last the last few moments of the, of the show. The, the one that really like sticks out to me um, and got me so built up for the return episode was uh, Prometheus. When Thor beams aboard and says, we need your help and your ship to go fight off the replicators, you get this look on Jack's face and the replicator theme starts you haven't heard it this entire episode because it hasn't been about the replicators mm-hmm. it, it, then it fades to black and he just goes to town on that and it's like oh my gosh i have got to see the next episode he was constantly doing that mm-hmm. another one of my favorites was um was full circle at the end of full circle you know they they they're walking away toward the stargate and it fades to black and he's hitting the bell again yeah. and again yeah. it's it's just so so powerful
3: the thing, you, you probably don't notice as much now that you're watching it on DVDs, but when you'd watch it on Sci-Fi Channel, even before that, uh, the commercials, you know, he had a gift for making you want to come back after the commercial. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, those cues
1: he, were changed for the DVDs. You had different yeah, sets, didn't you? Yeah,
3: because um, obviously, you are you know, if you're, you have a dramatic crescendo to, to a commercial and you're watching it on DVD and it doesn't go to a commercial, it's going to sound abrupt, but it's just the same kind of thing where, you know, he, he was, he had a great dramatic sense and a great understanding of television and, you know, you, you want people to be engaged, uh, and, and and keep watching through the next break and through the next break. And at the end of the show, you want them to be really excited about next week. Mm -hmm. And, and that was, you know, it's a gift. He really understood TV in that sense, you know, and then uh, on the other hand, he, you know, later on would, would, would go the complete opposite direction and, and would not make a big moment right at the commercial and, and it somehow was just as dramatically effective. He just mm. he always knew when when to pull it back and, and to be subtle about it.
1: Yeah. What is going to happen uh, to the archives of all that music? Are they going to be protected? Uh, what's what's the what's the plan? And addition is second second to that, mm. is there any um, indication from his family or from MGM that any of this music, particularly from Stargate Universe, will ever be made available?
3: Well, um, everything is protected on, you know, backed up on multiple hard drives. And, and uh, the, I know the family, uh, they, they want the music to get out there. They want people to hear it. I couldn't tell you, you know, what's going to happen specifically as to release dates or who would be doing that but um i know the desire is there on everyone's part to to get it out there it's just it's it was complicated when he was alive and mm-hmm. that's the reason why you know a second stargate atlantis uh cd still isn't out and yeah. it's just you know between the, the you know negotiating rights with the studios and yeah like they own it you know yeah.
1: so
3: yeah it's not you know people might think it's it's really simple to release a soundtrack but it's actually even though it's in the best interest of the studio and I'm not speaking specifically about anyone but it sometimes ends up being uh, so much hassle to to get something released that it just doesn't happen
1: Mm
3: -hmm. yeah I I definitely know you know a lot of people uh, a lot of people want the stuff to be out have for a long time and and Hopefully it'll it'll happen soon.
1: Yeah, there's so many great cuts.
2: With MGM settling down now and calming down, they've got more books coming out and more other things coming out. There's it might be a good opportunity to at least do iTunes releases or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean you not you're not mass producing CDs in that case. You know they'd be yeah. able to recoup their funds a little bit more easily. But I mean there's there's some of those cuts from Universe before before you came on, particularly the end the last the last piece of music from that. I mean, people have, have ripped that from the episode and have done some audio tweaking to isolate out the dialogue so that people can hear it. They love it so much. It's so, it's such a powerful piece of music the last five minutes of that series. You know, and we just, I would love to pay for it. I would love to own that. And you, we just can't get it right now.
3: Yeah, I, I, know, I, I know that the, the desire is there on everyone's part. It's just a matter of all the things that have to happen for that to to happen, and you know, with all due respect to the family, that the family's got a lot of other stuff yeah. to think about at this, at yes. this time. Yes, yeah. yes,
2: they're so good. But I'm sure, uh,
3: but I, but I know, I know definitely. Uh, his wife Martha wanted people to to hear the music, and there's no nobody wants to keep it hidden away, and so I'm, I'm sure, one way or another, it's going to come out.
2: You know, I have the same question about the website, freeklyde.com, how long that'll be kept up.
3: I honestly couldn't answer that. I know um, I'm sure it'll be online and and in its current state for the foreseeable future. I don't know um, exactly what the plans are about about updating it or or maintaining it. I get it goes back to everyone having other things to deal with, but I'm, I'm sure that the, you know, the... The, the fee to keep the site up is going to be, you know, go on indefinitely. So as long as nothing changes there, I'm sure it'll it'll still be up.
1: Good. Well, Neil, um, it was a pleasure to uh, hang with you for a few minutes and to, likewise to reminisce. Uh, I know we've we've been putting this off for a little while, but I'm glad we all we all got together to talk about him and, and share him a little bit. So. Absolutely, and
3: I appreciate as always the the love that you guys have for the music and and Joel's legacy, and I encourage everyone listening to go out and and find as much of Joel's music as you can and and listen to it and and celebrate him, and and nobody's ever going to forget him, I know that. I I hope everyone realizes what a special, gifted person he was, and we're going to miss him a lot.
1: Target composer Neil Acree. He's the mastermind behind the uh, the the music for the uh, the trailers to Wrath of the Lich King, World of Warcraft, and Cataclysm. Um, and i th- i think he uh, I think he actually may have done uh, Burning Crusade as well.
2: And Diablo three.
1: He did that one too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. We didn't even we didn't even discuss that with him. I apologize for that, Neil. Yeah, go and check that out. That's a, that's a big game that's coming out. So, very, very talented, talented guy and a friend. Diana, do you have uh, do you have any uh, any more thoughts to share before we uh, move into the back half of the show?
2: No, I, I mean, you know, I think we've said it all, and I think that Joel's music can speak more than we can. Yeah. About how wonderful his life was, what he contributed and gave to basically culture at mm-hmm. large and what he gave specifically to stargate and mm-hmm. now that I'm comfortable listening to his music again I will be it's an old friend and I'm looking forward to having it keep me company every day
1: mm-hmm. when when someone like a composer passes on you know you, you if they were successful enough and Joel certainly was you don't have to look far to find their stuff to keep you company so that's that's a great part about you know his his legacy is his a lot of his stuff is accessible and you know I mean it's the the impact the impact that he made on on the Stargate universe just indelible I mean there will never be another one like him if if Stargate does come back someday whoever it is who is going to be the composer for that uh, for that next iteration is going to have some big shoes to fill
2: big ears too yeah. <laughs>
1: Thanks again to Neil for coming on the show, and thank you, Diana, for uh, w- what a wonderful suggestion. And and you know, it's just it, that that was the stroke of genius on your part. Spend an episode talking about Joel and celebrating his his career. Uh, if you have uh, any comments that you'd like to to leave to his family or you know to to talk about uh, talk about what he's meant to you, you can give us a ring on the podcast hotline area code nine five one two six two one six. Four, seven. You can leave a voicemail day or night. It's uh, automated, so you're not waking anyone up. And, uh, yeah, just just call in and share your thoughts or anything else, you know, related to Stargate or what's on your mind, something that you'd like us to talk about. I know a couple of people has have submitted um, voicemails specifically for, uh, for topic discussion, and I am going through those, and I do appreciate that. Uh, Tyler, though, wanted to know what we thought about um, the movie John Carter. I'm going to let him... I'm going to let him say a couple of words here.
0: Hey, this is Tyler calling from Seattle. I was wondering what you guys thought about John Carter, his self-titled Biggest Flop. In my opinion, it's one of the best sci-fi movies I've seen in a long time. And I'm just wondering what you guys thought on it, especially given its lackluster performance in the box
1: office. I personally have not actually seen the movie uh, or know that much about it. Diana, do you know about John Carter at all?
2: Well, I mean, I grew up reading the Edgar uh, Riceboro books, but I have not seen the movie. It's been a busy okay. semester. But what I've been watching that's very interesting is the critics have panned it, the general public have panned it, but science fiction writers have just applauded it. They loved it. Yeah. Uh, from John Scalzi to uh, a lot, just a lot of different... Writers have just absolutely adored it. The problem is, is that it came out after so many other films came out that were derivative of Princess of Mars and John Carter that now it seems like this is derivative of all yeah. that other material. <laughs> itself. Right, whereas this wow. stuff came out, the first one I think was written in 1907. Holy smokes. Like yeah, exactly. So, I mean, John, the same guy who created John Carter created Tarzan for those of you who might not be familiar with Burroughs' work.
3: No.
1: It's,
2: yeah. So uh, I have not seen it, um, and it's unfortunately out of theaters, so that I'm going to have to wait to see it. But I would like to see it, having been brought up reading all of the, all of the Mars books.
1: Wow. So, yeah. $250 million budget. Yeah. I mean, I there are not a lot of movies that have that much of a <laughs> quarter of a billion dollars. Avengers
2: cost $250 million. Wow, yep, yeah. it's the cow. name of the game, and it's funny because you think back to uh, when Titanic was the first one to bust the hundred million seal. yeah. and uh, Jim Cameron was strutting around bragging what a great thing that was that he was able to do that. And that's yeah. like nothing now, you know?
1: well, I mean, you can you can spend a hundred million dollars on advertising. I think Star Trek Eleven spent at least that
2: well, here, here's the real shocker. The first alien movie uh, yeah. directed by Ridley Scott cost 8 million
1: dollars. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, and and there's a lot of fine examples out there of, of movies that can cost really not much at all and it it has ne- doesn't have any bearing on their success. I mean, The Sixth Sense, there is not one visual effect in The Sixth Sense. Not one. And some people are like, what? Really? I'm like, no, there isn't. And look at how well it did. You know? So, you just never know.
2: No, I mean, also the actors. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. apparently has made more out on this Avengers movie than all the other actors in the movie combined. Wow. Okay, and I'm sure that's from profit participation points. Yeah. So,. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's also, you know, it's just, costs have gone up too. But, um, haven't seen John Carter, want to see John Carter, we can talk about it. I want to see it now too. Yeah, when it comes out on DVD, we'll take a look at it and we'll, we'll talk some more about it.
1: Well, it was a pleasure to sit back down with you again.
2: And likewise, as always. We're
1: always chatting generally, but never chatting like, like, you know, having it recorded, you know, presented to others, so. I'm, uh, I'm glad we were able to, to manage some some of that. And Epilogue, it's coming out really soon. Again, go and look at uh, the trailer when it's online. We will be posting links.
2: Yeah, we're, we've still got a couple little edits to do, a little bit of color correction to do. We have this a brilliant cinematographer who's gonna do the color correction on it. And then we will go live on May 25th.
1: Are there any Stargate Easter eggs in the trailer?
2: Uh, yes, in fact, I think there
1: are. All should, right, then. So go and see it. See see what you spy in there. See if you recognize anything. Indeed. So this is uh, this has been episode 133 of the Gate World podcast. Uh, go out and uh, see if. Uh, if, if you're not uh, too well versed in in Joel Goldsmith outside of uh, outside of Stargate, go out there and check out his stuff. He did a lot of video games. There's a lot of cool stuff that this guy did. That's that's not necessarily Stargate. So, and Star Trek: First Contact. What a great score! And he contributed to that with his father. We appreciate you tuning in and uh, and sharing some time with us today. And we will be back very soon. I promise with another episode. So, my name is David. I'm Diana. And thank you for tuning in to the Gate World Podcast.